He's Ali Albarigo, and this is the School Owner Talk Podcast. Again, Dwayne Brummett here with Allie Albarigo, schoolownertalk.com. Hey, Allie, great to be with you, sir. Great to be with you as well. Sorry for the listeners and viewers. We had a little bit of a technical difficulty. So we have uh, our guest, which is, um, he's been in the CIA Witness Protection Program for a long time. So that's why we have to blur out. Actually, I'm becoming a ninja. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he's a ninja. And that's why you see, no, it's a black screen. But we're having some technical difficulties on his video. But we figured, hey, um, you know, let's just go right ahead with the interview. Because a lot of people listen to this on iTunes or Spotify anyway, so they don't have the video portion of the show. But so let's just get started. So I want to introduce you real quick. Uh, this is a good friend of mine. We know each other for a really long time. I always feel like, hey, um, I'm dating myself when I always say that, but I think we probably know each other. We've been around each other and spoken probably for the last 25, 30 years. His school has been open for at least that long. And uh, he's in Long Island, New York. And, you know, what I, when I thought about having him, Dwayne, on for the interview, he's a very classical, traditional martial arts school owner. Um, you know, you know, I love speaking to people like that. He owns East Coast Black Belt Academy. Um, and he teaches traditional Jap- traditional Japanese martial arts and traditional sword. And um, we've had some great conversations in regards to the way the industry is going and, you know, how students are acting and how families are. It's just a whole big dynamic. But anyway, he runs a very successful school. So, Sensei, we want to welcome you to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, sorry about the, uh, the visual. But let's go. Let's go. Yeah, exactly. Allie, when, when you were trying to get your video to work and you were off air, Allie said, this actually looks better. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> he did not. He did not. So, Jerry, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, quick backstory. You know, what what got you into martial arts in the first place and then even running a studio? Um, actually, I, I I started martial arts when I was like 10 or 11. Me and my sister went to the local recreation center. And we were taking classes and, and I liked it. I liked it at the time. And unfortunately the, the program ended. And um, at that time I started getting involved with like physical fitness. I was washing my hands one day at my kitchen sink and I looked out the window and I saw this guy walking down the block, which was my neighbor. And I said to my mother, I said, mom, why does that guy look so funny? And she says, no, no, he's not funny looking. He has muscles. And I'm like, well, you know, I didn't understand what that was. Right. So she introduced me to him and he kind of put me on this path of lifting weights and conditioning. And I I always had this this connection to, you know, Japanese, uh, whatever culture. I had a friend who was Japanese when I was living in the city. Um, So I started training with weights and, and I started participating in sports in school. And I kind of found out I was like a natural athlete and I became faster. I became stronger, um, went out for the football team. And that's what I really excelled in. And I, I, I had no direction. I was living home with my mom, my dad, my mom and dad divorced when I was about 10 years old. And 
I had no direction. My father was living in the city. My mom was working. And I'm a 10-year-old kid in the house alone with my brother and sister. Mm. So back in those days, it was, uh, you know, it was kind of tough. But I had no self-discipline. You know, there was nobody to watch me do my homework, nobody to, uh, you know, to, to watch me, my brothers and, and sisters. We laugh about it today because we're kind of lucky all three of us turned out pretty good. Right. But I knew I was lacking something in my life. And, and that was definitely self-discipline. I went out for the football team. I became Sachem's first 1,000-yard running back. Our, our team won the Suffolk County Championship that year. I had a lot of colleges looking at me, but academically... I didn't excel in school at all. Matter of fact, I, I didn't do nothing at school <laughs> academically. Mm. I didn't read. And then, Shian, uh, uh, I know you know the name Jeff Iorio. He was a good yeah. friend of mine yeah. in high school. And he, I found out he was a black belt. And people were telling me, you know, he was kicking the ceiling tiles out. So one day I went up to him and we started talking. And I told him I took martial arts before. And he says, you know, why don't you kind of get back into it? started showing me some stuff and that that was really it that kind of got me back into it like making a commitment and I knew after the after the clock ran out my senior year on the football field I knew that was going to be the last game I, I would ever play I didn't even want to play football anymore I just I just had no direction and when I started studying I found out that this was something that I was really lacking that self-discipline, the anger management. I, I was a very angry person at the time. People, you know, I was never disrespectful to people, but I would kind of like fly off the handle if somebody upset me. Mm -hmm. um, and that was, that was the course. And um, I started uh, training with Jeff and then I eventually went into um, Taekwondo. Mm. And I, I just continued the journey. I became a black belt in the early 80s under Richard Chun in Manhattan. Right. Uh, at, at that time, I was married. Um, me and my wife, we moved to Florida. I went to work with family down there, continued my studies, um, came back to New York, continued. And then, uh, you know, eventually when I made black belt in the city, I moved back to Long Island and was training it with Arthur Cohen at the time. He was a black belt under Richard Chun. And I had a job and it was difficult for me to get to the school. So he introduced me to Terry Macaron. Terry Macaron is a Sean Rue instructor here on Long Island. And once I started in that system, that was it. I was just hooked. So the lack of self-discipline, the anger management that I needed as a, as a young person, as a young man, those were things that really drawn me in. I was always physical. Um, you know, fighting was never really the thing for me. Right. You know what? It's interesting. One thing, and by the way, all the names that you had mentioned uh, bring back so many memories, like Arthur Cohen, who's no longer uh, with us. And, you know, uh, of course, uh, Sensei Macaron, who I am friends with and know for so many years. And these are a lot of the old timers. In fact, uh, Sensei Macaron and I used to train together in my Filipino martial arts school with Tuhan Sayak. He used to come down to the school that I ran and he would train with my teacher, Tuhan Sayak. And he became a pretty much later on in life, one of the most reputable Filipino martial art teachers around as well. 
So you know, a parent asked me the other the other day, you know, how I got involved in this system of karate, uh, which comes from Okinawa. Okinawa is actually the birthplace of karate. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it kind of spread to Japan and then throughout the world. Um, and, and I told them, I, I just went to a dojo. I, I had no idea. You know, when you first join a martial art, you really don't know, you know, unless today with there's so much information out there, you could pick and choose. But back in the day, you kind of heard this guy was good, that guy was good, and you, and you went to the dojo. Yeah. Um, and it kind of put me on a path where, you know, I met so many great people within my system. And I, I actually trained, you know, Sensei Macaron introduced me to Sensei Joseph Carbonara, who passed away. Yeah. He actually became my main sensei. Wow. Sensei Macaron really never gave out rank and Back in the in the mid '80s with Sensei Macaron, we kind of had a falling out, and I was at a, actually out of a dojo for a while. Ah. I went to Sensei Carbonara to ask him if he could train me, and he said no because he was good friends with Sensei Macaron. So right, I was kind of right. out for a while. Yeah, but then uh, I kind of uh, worked my way back into it. I went to a tournament out in Ohio. It was an all Shorinru tournament. Mm-hmm. And I wind up winning the uh, both of my divisions out there, Kata and Kumite. And the head of the association out there, his name was Frank Grant, said to me, when are you being promoted to black belt in Shonru? And I said, I don't think I am. And he kind of gave me the opportunity to train under him. And that's how I got my black belt. Wow. Wow. Well, once, I, once I got my black belt, I had the son of the, the there's a, one of the most famous Okinawan instructors, his name is Shosha Nagamini. Uh, he wrote a book, the first book in Okinawan, on Okinawan karate called The Essence of Okinawan Karate Do. And his son used to come to the United States. And one night I, I got a call from uh, Joseph Carbonara Sensei, and he told me that, you know, the Grandmaster's son wants to meet you. I met him, we kind of hit it off, and he told me to stay with Sensei Carbonara from that point on. So. Wow. Um, I've been teaching Sean Rue, you know, past, uh, you know, 33 years at the dojo. Um, you know, we've done some Kempo. I had a partner here in my dojo when we first opened and, uh, it's just been a great journey. Yeah. I, I have one thing that I, I, that you hit on in the beginning and I wrote it down so I didn't forget is that somehow maybe you can explain this in your own words, like that some of us just have this infatuation or this kind of uh, this connection to that we can't describe like why certain students of ours are just so good and they seem to have this knowledge that goes beyond the you know their the living plane right here that maybe they're a reincarnate uh ninja or a you know martial arts samurai like what brought you what made you love and i know you've been to japan and what made you really get attracted? Because this is another part of the tradition that I love about you is it's a very classical, traditional Japanese martial arts school. And you've traveled to Japan. You've been around the Japanese. You understand the culture. Your school has taught the culture. What connected you back in the early days and why do you stay that way? I, I, just, I just started finding success in what I was doing Um and again, not not physically, you know, I, I used to run a, a 4640, you know, in, in a 40 yard dash. I used to bench press over 400 pounds. Mm-hmm. I, you know, 
I, I never felt that I needed martial arts to protect myself. You right. know, I grew up in the city. I, I'm kind of street smart that way. Um, but I, I needed this, this something to connect to that, that would help me, you know, like a form of therapy. Right. Um, you know, developing self-discipline, perseverance. I, I, I eventually, because of my football skills, my girlfriend at the time taught me to go back to playing football, mm -hmm. um, which I did. And I went back and I wind up getting hurt the second month in. Right. Um, it was a practice. I was running with the football. A coach blew the whistle. Um, a guy came, hit me in the back with the helmet. I fell to the floor. I went to push myself up and I didn't feel my legs. Hmm. And I knew at that moment, because my head wasn't really into it, I, I had to get out. And I wind up leaving school after two months. And, right. and then it felt like the world was kind of closing in on me because I had no direction of what I wanted to do. Hmm. Um, again, with the anger, I just celebrated my 40th wedding anniversary this past wow. June. That's and, great. Congratulations. But but again, my decisions back in the early days almost cost me one of one of uh, and I'm not proud to say this, but one of the actually the first time I took my wife, my girlfriend at the time to the movies um, after the movies, we, I was driving home. A guy cut me off. I pulled up next to him and I just looked at him and I just ran my car into his. Wow. I mean, it, it, that's that's crazy. But my wife was screaming, you know, get me out of the car. What are you nuts? And, you know, that was an opportunity that I looked at that at least she talked to me the next day, gave me an opportunity to say, listen, you know, I, I apologize. I, I got angry, but I knew I had to work on my inner self. When, when, I, when I started going, um, and especially to Sensei Macaroon School, when we would have to advance to the next belt, he always incorporated some type of report, some type of reading before you would actually get your belt. And when I first heard that, I, got, I, got a, I never read a book in high school. And right. when, I, when I first heard that, I said, I don't want to read. But then when I started reading, um, it, it kind of drew me in even more. You know, my, my library is so big today. My wife keeps telling me, will you stop ordering another book? You know, because... <laughs> I actually have a room with over a thousand books that I've bought, not on just martial arts, but philosophy, self-improvement. And I use all that stuff to, you know, to help me become not only a better person, but try to help guide people uh, that don't have the direction. And I kind of relate to a lot of people that way. Yeah. And you also, um, you, like me, I, I, I buy a lot of books. I just started giving them away because I had too many books on the bookshelf. So the, the beginning of the year, I gave away like 400 books. I'd put them on a pile on my desk in my lobby and I'd say, take the free books, you know, and because uh, I needed the space. But you also are an author, right? And you've had, I, I, have, yeah, a few, I, actually, I have a few of your books uh, that yeah. you sent me. So you also, Dwayne has written some books as well and you have too. So um, that's great that you've, you've written books and share with your people that way. Yeah, well, one of my books, um, I actually, again, this came about um, in, uh, I believe it was like 2010, uh, Masters Magazine contacted me because at that time, I was one of the only Sean Rue stylists doing uh, Bunkai, which is application to techniques. Um, you know, 
back in the day, we did these type of applications where it was like step and punch, pull the hand in the pocket, you know, somebody kicks you to the side, you're doing a down block. And I, and I always questioned those techniques. And I, I would say to myself, I would never do that in a confrontation. Right. Um, so I started questioning and I started training with different people and, and came up with, you know, analyzed these techniques and started kind of bringing the kata to life a little bit more where people started to say, hey, that, 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 that's maybe a better way of looking at it. And Masters Magazine gave me the opportunity to do a DVD series for their magazine. And I flew out to Los Angeles. I did that. Um, and, and it went really good. It went over really well. They also gave me um, an opportunity to write a column for their magazine. Mm. Um, and it's all on Sean Rue because Sean Rue at the time where I kind of started to um, take over a little bit in the area was kind of dying out. Um, a lot of the schools left the island. And, um, you know, so as I started to write, I started to put things down. And, and I actually did a book called From the Minds of the Masters. It's a little, little bit about my story getting into the arts. And, but mainly it was interviewing the principal people in Matsubashi, Sean Ru, you know, my instructors, instructors in Okinawa. And that also, it got some great reviews. And then I, I do a PAL program that I started in 2003, which I still, I just got off the phone with them before doing another community-based program for them. Um, and I, I brought somebody to, to the high school one day to watch me do a class. And he goes, Jerry, he goes, you got to write a book about this stuff. Wow. He goes, these are good principles. So I wrote a book called The Difference. And it's about staying the course with things in our life where people tend to give up and just trying to, you know, help make a difference in somebody else's life. And it's all stories about overcoming obstacles, um, you know, building up confidence. And I wrote it in a manner where children could understand it. Right. So, so those are the two books that I've written. And you know, it's interesting, you, you said in the beginning, very similar to me, I probably would have been voted most likely to go to prison by my teachers in school. Um, <laughs> and I was terrible in school. Absolutely. I, I admit to it because I, I'm surprised I ended up where I did. And But I've written six books and you, you, you said you weren't very good. You weren't well read in school. You didn't enjoy it. And look at you, you've written two books and you've been, you know, the you know, requested to do these amazing things. And uh, Dwayne just posted uh, the book, uh, your books on our, our podcast right here. So people oh, thank can you. see them thank if you. anyone wants to see them. But yeah, look, and, and you've gone on to prove that the martial arts helped you with your mindset and made you who you are today, which is amazing. Yeah. I know that Dwayne had a, a, a question, right? Dwayne, you wanted to ask about that? Yeah, I, I was curious. I, I, I hear that uh, you had a few uh individuals at uh at your uh dojo recently and uh can you elaborate on some famous people right um yeah. I, I don't know I, I forget who they were well you you i was mentioning <laughs> Dwayne. You, you had you had master yes. master Romeo yes. right yes i mean yeah just quickly if i can interrupt you for one second yeah. i think you'll get a kick out of, out of this 
yeah, I was, like you said, I was an absolutely, I was a disgrace as a student. If, right. you know, and I, when I see my students, my teachers, you know, and, and teachers reach out to me on Facebook and they're kind of amazed the direction I went in. Um, in 2009, I got to um, actually give the commencement speech to the graduating class at Station High School. Wow. And, and it was all based on what I've done in the martial arts. So uh, that's something I'm, I'm really proud of. Yeah. Um, so, Congratulations, too. Yeah, you should be proud of that. Yeah, yeah. So getting back to the two famous people, yes. Um, I uh, last, uh, I believe it was last July, I had uh, Sensei Fumio Demura come out to the dojo to do a seminar here. And it, it was actually for a friend of mine, uh, Sensei Tommy Caselli. He's a, a Shotokan instructor. And he asked if he could use my dojo out here to host him. He lost his dojo when COVID came. Um, so I said, absolutely. I, I trained with Sensei Demura in 1991 out in Tip City, Ohio. And he was absolutely amazing. I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing from him at the time. And, and I never had any further contact with him. So I know, you know, I knew that he was of ill health and this would probably be the last time that I would see him. And so I agreed to have this seminar here. And when we were starting to promote it on the flyer, you know, Sensei Demer was the stunt double for Pat Morita in the Karate Kid. You know, we put the Karate Kid logo, you know, with Machio and Morita on the, on the flyer. And as I was handing him out, one of the parents in my school said to me, um, Jerry, she says, um, when, when is this instructor coming? I said, look, the information's here. She goes, he was in the Karate Kid? And I said, yeah, he was the stunt double. So she goes, wow, that's amazing. She, she went back home. She Googled him. She was looking at all the uh, YouTube videos. And prior to that, um, I, believe, I believe it was in May, of last year as well, the Suffolk County Sports Hall of Fame had uh, Ralph inducted into the uh, Hall of Fame for being an icon in the martial arts and promoting a positive message. I was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2016 for my PAL program and my teachings. So the next day I get a call from my parents. She said, Jerry, would you want to invite Ralph Macchio to come to the seminar. I'm like, how am I going to invite him? She goes, well, you met him. And she goes, I work with his wife. And I was like, you work with his wife. So he lives locally. He lives like 10 minutes from my dojo. So I said, yeah, I gave him, um, actually, I was on the cover of Masters Magazine last year. I gave him a signed copy and she brought it to him. And then the next day I get a call that he would visit the dojo to meet, you know, Sensei Demera. And it turned out um, Sensei Demera was stuck at Newark Airport. So I got to spend like an hour and a half with Ralph here at the dojo. And wow. he's just he's just such a down to earth person. Um, you know, when you think of these celebrity types and, you know, Holly, nothing like that at all. Um, and it, it was just, uh, you know, a surreal moment. And he was just, he was gracious with the students that were here at the time, took pictures with the kids. And um, yeah, it, it was an exciting time. That's awesome. 
So, so I have a question for you. And, and we, we always talk about running a martial arts school. And uh, so this is where we could get a little controversial that maybe people might say, oh my God. Um, but you know, you run a traditional school um, 30 years now, right? Has it been? It's 30, 33 years. 33 years, right? So yeah. we, we opened just about the same time you and I, I think you were right, I remember. a year mm-hmm. earlier than I was. And, uh, but um, you and I talk sometimes and we, we uh, were frustrated with the direction of the martial arts and, you know, parenting these days and, you know, the way students listen, um, what they're capable of learning, how hard it is to teach them their left from their right. So um, what are your thoughts on that? And, you know, just in general, being a martial art teacher in, in the 21st century. It's, um, (laughs) it's definitely changed over the years. Um, And, and again, you know, we know as dojo owners that, you know, if you go back even five years ago, it was a different student. Right. Ten, year, ten years back, you know, so as we get older, um, you know, you know, I, I'm going to be 64. You know, I'm still working. You know, I was working with 10 years old, 10 year old students, 30 something years ago. Right. I'm still working with 10 year olds. But just like adults, um children have just become preoccupied with other things besides the things that they're doing at the moment. You know, we were fortunate. We were, we grew up in a time where there was no cell phone. There was, you know, no internet. You had to make connections. There was a more personal type of touch. And the children today, what I'm finding is they don't have that that connection, that that human touch where, you know, the eye contact, you know, maybe the shaking of the hands, even a high five, you know, sometimes kids look away and it, it, it's, it, it's kind of, it's really sad what I see going on today because even the curriculum, and I know I'm not the only one, the, the curriculum that I had for Yellow Belt 20 years ago it would be like a walk in the park for, you know, children back at that time. You know, today they need a a little bit more guidance, a little bit more reinsurance, a little bit more of the pat on the back. And, and again, I I don't know if I could blame the the child, but I think it's, it it comes down to the parenting. It's, it's, it's the things that I'm seeing right now are, Definitely, um, you know, a lack of parenting, you know, understanding that they're the parent. You know, recently I had a student come into uh, this past year, a student brought, uh, I'm sorry, a parent brought their, their daughter into my school. And they're telling me about all the problems that this child is having in school. In school. Beautiful young girl, and she's just getting tormented by other girls. And then she starts telling me about the, the obstacles she's going through and the altercations, what she's having with these kids. And then she starts telling me some stuff about the physical bullying. And I said, listen, I'm happy to, to, to sign you up as a student. You need to go to the police first before you sign my, you know, my enrollment agreement, because, right. you know, you got to take care of that. That's, that's a major problem. And these parents, I don't know if they really have the tools to, to help the children. Yeah. Some do. Some, The ones that are involved have a lot more success. But it, 
And, and again, it's society, you know, we're forcing people, you know, to, you know, two people have to work in a family in order yeah. to provide, you know, all that stuff comes into play. Yeah. No. You know what, you, you know, what's interesting. Um, I have a friend who runs a very successful school and he actually does it by a three-year commitment charges a huge amount of money per month. And uh, he doesn't allow people to join his school if they're doing more than two activities. So mm -hmm. in other words, if they play football, soccer and the martial arts, he won't allow them to train because he realizes, and, and I do agree with him to some extent, they're never going to excel at either one of them or any of those because they're so busy <laughs> And uh, it's it's a problem. So he limits them and he only takes the people who are willing to make the martial arts a big part of their lives. And I think that that you're right. Everyone's looking to get their kids experiences, but they don't want them to have experience in anything. Yeah, I, I think it's important that, you know, uh, uh, look, I've. I, I run my studio the way I want to run it and, right. and the way I, I I'm comfortable running it. You know, I do a lot of stuff in the community and, and from day one, I personally never held anybody to a contract. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I just feel that, you know, if, if a student wants to move on, um, they're, they're not putting what they want to put into to your classes, you know, and, and if they're looking for something else, you know, martial art may not be the best fit. So I'm looking for students that want to really understand this, that really want to be part of uh, students who want to be involved um, and, and students who are looking for, you know, personal development to, to empower themselves. Because once they walk out the doors of the dojo, you know, the dojo is the safe place. Once you walk out the doors, that's where you need all this, you know, the confidence and the self-discipline, the awareness. Um, that's where it all takes place. Um, but, you know, me personally holding somebody to, you know, a three-year, four-year program, I, I just don't feel comfortable with it, you know. Um, you know, so I've had students, you know, basketball, soccer, football, you know, they're trying to find their niche. And, you know, living on Long Island it's important to start a class on time and end the class on time because parents have this ridiculous schedule if they have their children involved in other activities. Some parents just bring their kids to you because you're a babysitting service uh -huh. for them. Um, so it's really hard to find that, that niche. And I believe it really depends on the area where you are, you know, in New York or in the, you know, in the country. Yeah. Yeah. Um, two comments from Sensei Arango, who's listening in right now. He runs the Martial Art Institute. He's been on our podcast a few times. He wrote the, about your school. The second you walk into your dojo, that atmosphere has a traditional feel. And then he also wrote 80% um, of the parents now want to be their ch children's friends instead of being a parent of guidance and discipline. And him and I just had breakfast this morning which I hope one day you could come out to breakfast with us. We meet every Wednesday and- I don't uh, like to eat. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and- because uh, and, and, yeah, uh, we can't see you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's right though that, you know, I don't think that, you know, I, I had a parent the other day say to me and I said, wow, I wish I had a dollar or 50 cents every time I heard this because I'd be a retired millionaire on some island. But he, uh, they said, ah, oh, we don't want to force him uh, to do anything. 
And I'm like, he's five years old. Like, who's going to force him? Who's going to force him to brush his teeth, wash his hair, take a bath, eat correctly? I said, if you put him in a room with scotch and chocolate, he'd probably eat that and drink that all night. Are you going to do that right. too? You know, right. so it's it's important for us as martial art and school owners and instructors to be that guiding force. But sometimes it's hard. Right? It's it's very difficult. I'll give you. I'll give you here. Okay, each month I have a most improved student. Mm -hmm. Right. I, and then I have a student of the month. Most improved is what goes on in the dojo. Right. You know, their attitude, their, you know, their effort, uh, their commitment to learn the techniques, to look sharp, focused. The student of the month is what takes place outside the dojo. Okay. Um, you know, if they're doing community service, raising money, you know, you know, spreading, uh, you know, you know, sticking up for somebody that's been bullied. Um, so I have a young girl that comes into my school and she's at orange belt and she comes in one day with her mother and the mother says, uh, sensei, you know, my daughter has to say something to you. And the kid just burst out crying and she's no, 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 you got to tell sensei, you tell sensei. And the girl's crying. I'm feeling bad for her. And I'm telling her, listen, I'm not mad at you. It's okay. Long story short, the girl wants to quit. So I said, look, from day one, you came in, you know, have you made a change? Do you feel a little bit more confident? Do you feel a little bit more comfortable on the deck? And she said, yes. I said, well, why don't you, you know, why don't you give it another day to see, you know, maybe you're just having a bad day today. And the parent turns to me and she says, sensei, my daughter's not quitting. And, you know, very forcefully. Right. And I said, no, I said, that's fine. I said, that's fine but I still want her to be comfortable. And right. the girl starts crying. No, no, I want to quit. Last month, the girl is now a green belt. Last month, I just gave that girl student of the month. She is, she's on her way. I could see her being one of my students that, you know, started with me when they were five. Now they're 25 and they're still in the dojo. Right. You know, one of those type of students. Right. Recently have a kid... I'm going to say he's he's only with me about a year. Can't walk and chew gum at the same time. Mm -hmm. right? His focus is constantly looking outside the window. He's looking up at the ceiling. Now, all of a sudden, he starts to turn it up. He gets promoted. I'm sorry, gets promoted. He gets student of the month, one month back. So I don't have the parents in my dojo anymore. So right. before, before COVID, I had them. Now I don't. Anyway, oh really? They don't. They don't sit and watch. No, yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, he no. he stopped that. Yeah, I'll, I'll explain why. So now I said to the kid, Leo, call your mother in. I want to speak to her. So the mother comes to the door. Right, I open the door for her. She comes in, and there's Leo standing there with a certificate. He goes, "Look, mom, look what I got." And the mother's like, "Oh, that's that's nice." And then looks at the certificate and turns it back and walks out the door. Hmm. You know, so you have these two types of parents, you know, that you have to learn how to connect with in order for the child to succeed. And, and I'm finding more and more parents, you know, are, are not willing to give that kid the extra push to make it easier for them to quit. You know, oh, my son doesn't want to come. Why? Well, he's getting bored. 
you, but, but why? Well, you know, well, I just want to pull them out. I don't want to get into it. I don't right. want my, you know, right. it's not like they're parenting. Yeah. So, well, that's why so, it's re- it's real easy to become a parent. That's the fun part, right? And uh, but yeah. it's not very, uh, it's not uh, not easy to actually parent. Yeah, I'm curious yeah. How, how, you know, how that all goes over with, with not allowing the parents to come and watch. I mean, even a trial, they don't watch or how does that even work? No, no. I put them, I put them right on the deck. Um, you know, I explained to the parents before the pandemic, I had a lot, I have a large viewing section. I had the parent city. And what a lot of people don't know about me is I'm completely deaf in one ear and the he- my other ear, the hearing is not too good. So that, that was something else with my childhood that I had to kind of overcome. But um, when, the, when the pandemic happened, um, like most schools, once we were allowed to come back indoors, we had to space out the class. Um, you know, so I had kids entering one door, exiting the other. You know, everybody was six feet apart. I put these numbers down, you know, one to 35 on my deck. And the kids, you know, they would come in, they would go right to a number. And I wasn't even going color belts, you know, lining them up in order. Whenever they would come in, just get to a number so they would feel comfortable. Right. So what I, what I noticed was that for me personally, it, it, it made me a better teacher because... I could focus more on the class itself without turning to the parents and saying, uh, parents, could you, could you tone it down a little bit? I can't even hear myself. You know, when the parents are in there, especially when they form these bonds, they're chit-chatting, they're talking, and, and, and that's a positive thing. So if, if school owners have parents in their dojos, I suggest keep them in there because it's important for them to hear the lesson plans of what you're teaching. And, you know, if you're talking about confidence, you're talking about perseverance parents have to know about that stuff and then what i started to find out was that the kids were starting to focus a little bit more without constantly looking over at their parents so i kind of you know talked to some of my instructors that teach with me and and they said man this is a lot more enjoyable to you know to teach in this manner without the parents you know being right on top of you and I said, you know what? I said, I really got to think about this. So as, you know, as the, um, you know, the pandemic started to dwindle down and the masks started to come off, um, I continued running classes the same way. And I said to one of the parents one day, I said, what do you think about being on the outside? She goes, no, she goes, when I send my child to school, I'm not with them. They're on their own. And I said, wow. I said, I never, you know, never thought about that before. And then it was right after that, a parent came in and wanted to sign their child up. She walked in the door. She said, somebody recommended me bring my child to you. My child has some type of anxiety. I, I, I you know, of course, I give them the time in the office. I get to connect with the, the child and the parent. And then I said, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to introduce her to the class. I'll bring her out, you know, and I'll have one of my instructors work with the one-on-one so she feels comfortable. 
And, and everything is about making the student feel comfortable, not intimidating when they get onto that mat. I have all the, all the children clap for them. We talk about courage, who was nervous the first time they stepped foot on the mat. You know, everybody raises their hand. You know, once in a while, you'll get one kid that says, I really didn't care. But, um, you know, so then I found I was starting to get success. You know, parents were starting to come in and signing their kid right up after one lesson. So I, I the kids get promoted. I'll put their pictures up there. And I talk to them in the parking lot. They're like, sensei, no, I like what I'm seeing with my, my child at home, in school. I try to tie that all together. You know, like I'm sure a lot of school owners do. You have to do that. You have to, you have to make that, you know, home, you know, school and dojo. If you keep those three together, um, that, that plays an important part. And I'm constantly asking parents for, you know, giving them progress checks. How's, the, how's your kid doing with this? I try to get to know the, the child and, and what they, you know, you, you can't just be a dojo owner where people just sign up and you're teaching classes and they're walking out the door. You got to know the background of the child. You know, does the child have, you know, some type of anxiety? Is, you know, I have a Down syndrome student. You know, you know, does the child come from a, a broken home? Uh, I don't even know if you can say that anymore today. Um, you know, are the parents divorced or separated or whatever. Um, so I've had a lot of success really getting to And that's why when sometimes when they leave, it, it really it's like a punch in the gut because you're right. spending so much time to get to know this child, this student, and then they, you know, they walk out the door. I wonder with, I wonder with, you know, not having the parents there, if that forces you to have um, more communication with the parents than as opposed to if they were sitting there watching, you feel like, well, they saw everything. I don't really need to communicate. Yes. So you know what? Exactly. Exactly. You know, because parents are coming, you know, I'll always make sure I go up to the parent, you know, Hey, your kid did a good job today. Hey, you know, yesterday I grabbed one of the dads. I says, you know what? Christopher really needs to work on staying in a little bit more control. You know, we talk a little bit about that. And, I, you know, talking about, you know, pre-framing them to set in a new goal each time they come into the dojo. So, uh, you know, that's important. You got my you head know? spinning because I, I, I think of the square footage that I'm paying for. And, and if I could make that all all training floor and, and very little, uh, you know, sitting, my gosh, that, that would yeah, be. I, I had a parent, uh, I had a parent say to me, Sensei, when are we coming back in? When are we, you know, she's been bugging me for like two years. And then recently I had a conversation with her and she says, you know what? I, I like the way my children are progressing. She goes, I could see a difference. I could really see, you know, they're starting to apply some of these things that you're talking about in class. And, you know, both of our children need to be a little bit more assertive. They don't have that much confidence, but now it's starting to show. So, um, you know, I, I'm getting some good feedback, you know, but, you know, yesterday talking to my wife, I, I said to her, you know, I may go back September because I want to really let the parents hear the lessons. Those lessons are really so important. And sometimes the lessons you know, really resonate with the parents themselves. You know, well, some, they're sitting there, they need to set goals and, you know. Well, that's true. 
Yeah. I know Allie, Allie broadcasts uh, all of his classes. So I, I, was just, I was just going to say that you could you could Zoom every single class very easily and very inexpensively. Well, you see that black screen? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a white belt in technology. Yeah, you no, know? Let, me, let me tell you, it's the it, easiest. If I had my choice, I'd throw the phone in the next lake I pass by. Yeah, I, I could teach you. I could show you how to do that, which is so simple. We do broadcast every class. And even though we do have a lobby that's separate from my training area where the parents can't talk and make noise, uh, there are a lot of the families will sit in their car. And there's a group of moms that will sign in to Zoom and go for a walk because I'm in a very rural residential neighborhood. And uh, they'll watch the class on their cell phones while walking and talking and enjoying, uh, you know, their walk. I do have a question because we're running out of time. And um, and I got two of them, too. That I want all right. Ask two so let's them. bang it out real quick. So um, first question is you're very successful with the adult market and yeah. you have a lot of adult students. In fact, just one picture on your website, it's just packed, packed with adults. What what do you suggest to school owners to capture that market and keep them? Because you have some students that have been with you for 10, 15, 20 years or more. Yeah, I got, I got, you know, Rick, you you know, Rick Hoffman, he's been with me, he's 30 years. I've, and I've had, you know, and now I have uh, students in their 80s, 70s, you know, Look, when I opened the dojo, I was, you know, 30 something years old, you know, and some of these guys that have stayed with me, you know, it's an older group. Yeah. I, I've been very fortunate. Um, my, my, even when I teach seminars overseas, uh, you know, I, I remember going to Ireland to teach a seminar and I had nine of my students come with me. Wow. You know, when I when I go to different, you know, I'm getting paid. They're not, but they want to support me. Right. Um, and I think that's because they. You know, as a dojo owner, you know, I was, we're blessed. We're really blessed to be doing something that we love. I hear so many people every day are aggravated at what they do for a living. They're not happy. Um, You know, even my wife, she, you know, till uh, COVID, you know, she retired during COVID, but she wasn't really happy doing the job she was doing. Um, and, And I really feel blessed. And when I'm here, I want to be here. I want to be on the floor. I want to be interacting with the students. Um, you know, so I think they they feel that. I think that comes across in a genuine way. It's not that I'm looking at the clock to get out of here. Um, and I really develop relationship where my students have, have become like family. I have, right. you know, I have a few black belts. You know, since, you know, we're going into the city next week, we're going to do this. I know, you know, Anthony Arango, you know, he has the same type of thing, you know, this bond with him. And I think, you know, the presence of the dojo owner being there, um, you know, is very important for that to to take shape, Mm. you know. That's a good, good message. So, Dwayne, you had two other questions? I do. And I think you could probably answer both of them with this, with the same thing, probably, but I was intrigued with, with regards to the most improved student every single month. And then the student of the month, how do you quantify that? Like, how do you choose those over others? And, and, or if you didn't choose one this month, you're going to wait and choose that person the next month, you know? So how do you do that? Cause I'm intrigued yeah. by that. Yeah. I, I, well, you know, um, I have this philosophy that, you know, I, I kind of, when I played football, 
when, when I first went out for the football team, you know, years ago, after practice, you would go down the basement, there would be a big chart. And if your name was on the chart, you come to practice the next day. If it's not up there, you don't come. And I think that really taught me the importance of whatever you want in life, you have to earn it. And it's the same thing with the martial arts. I look for a student that I, I could definitely see an improvement that the children is struggling and now there's a step forward. There, you know, there's some light ahead for this child or, or even an adult. Um, and I make that decision. I make that. And sometimes it's very difficult. I had one, one, uh, you know, I have two brothers training with me. One made most improved. And the other brother was like, you know, he almost fell apart on the deck because I gave his brother the certificate. I didn't give it to him, you know, and I had to talk to the parent and the parents have to understand that, you know, they're the ones that are responsible for their progress. They're the ones that, you know, I tell them, you know, it doesn't matter how many times you come here. If you're not, you know, practicing at home or doing the repetitions at home, all that little stuff adds up and it shows. So, you know, I would explain to the kid, I could see your brother's really trying and practicing. Are you practicing home? So all his answers are no, I don't practice with him. I know he's, so you gotta, you gotta, you know, be able to read the room and see who's really, you know, trying to, I tell the children this, it's not a team sport. Karate is not a team sport. It's a way of life. And, and your job as a student, and, and this is how I took it. When I went to class, I really didn't care about anybody else. I wanted to get good in martial arts, you know, for myself. I needed those, you know, not only the physical benefits that it gives you, those mental benefits that you could pull from it, that you could use in everyday life. You know, when I had a regular job, um, you know, I, I worked my way up in a sales company using principles of perseverance, self-discipline, you know, confidence, you know, to work my way up to a manager position. You know, at that time, you needed a college education on, on you know, I put it down on the application. I graduated from Hofstra, which I didn't, you know, and I told my manager years later, hey, Bill, you know, I really never went to college. And he says, I know, you know, but, you know, back then you could do stuff like that. Today you can so I get these children to understand, you know, there's only one first place winner, you know, second and third mean you got to work a little bit harder if you want to be number one. Right. So I get, I try to get that point across. I would do a, a warrior contest, a push-up challenge, sit up, physical fitness. And I would give one trophy a month, you know, one to the boys, one to the girls. And that was it. There's no second or third place. And I've had parents come in, sensei, why don't you give them a ribbon or something? And I'm like, no. No, I'm not going to do it. You know, this is the way I run my dojo. People tell me all the time, I teach karate and I teach judo. Even friends of mine, they say, Jerry, put MMA on your windows. You will draw so many people. I don't want that. I don't, I, nothing, nothing wrong with MMA. Nothing, you know, each dojo, each discipline does what they want. But for dojo owners, you got to find what works for you. You know, I, you know, I run my dojo now, you know, my thing is, you know, I want to run my dojo so I'm still having a good time. When I yeah. have a good time, everybody else has a good time. When it becomes frustrating for me, you know, I, I'm not going to, you know, I, I like to have fun in life. That's what life is about. You only yes. got one shot at it. 
You know, I understand the struggles. I understand what I needed to do to climb the ladder, but I want to have fun along the way. You yeah. know, do I run my classes hard? Absolutely. You know, I and I get the conflict with people coming in, you know, oh, we want to do more sparring. We want to do more judo. And then when I do more, they're like, oh, whoa, whoa, that that's, we don't want to do that much, you know? Yeah. So, you know, you got to find that balance within your dojo. Well, and I think that's what makes uh, the opportunity of owning your own martial arts school uh, so good is you, you know, you can make it the way that you want it and then attract those people that want the same thing. And Allie did that in the beginning, you know, you know, he wanted a studio basically because he, he wanted people to, to practice on, (laughs) and he created a studio that way and, and, and has, you know, created it a little bit differently now as time. But if you think about what he has, like ninjutsu, who, who thinks about becoming a, you know, but, but it's been successful for him. There's people that go, you know, they want to work on ninjutsu skills, right? which is great, which is great. But I came, I came up with a saying a long time ago that this is my happy house. And if you're not happy, I'm not the one that's leaving. Yeah. Yeah. Don't let the door hit you in the ass. <laughs> that's how I run it. You know? Uh, although I think over time I, 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 uh, actually now run it more like that than I ever did before where, you know, the rules, the rule and you don't follow it, then there are consequences where in the beginning, I know for myself, I was like, Ooh, I got to keep that student. Cause I need the money. Uh, now the money is still, I still want to keep the money, but not over the principal. Right. Yeah. You, you, you have to have you have to have your foundation, you know, built with integrity. There has to be, you know, and, and that's why, like, even with the with the contracts, when I lose a student, yeah, that, that's probably my fault. Maybe I could have did a little bit more. And you got to look at your strengths and you got to look at your weaknesses. And each one of those that walk out the door, you got to kind of learn from that. Um but at, at the same time, there are going to be students that are just searching and looking for something and will never be happy with you. They'll never be happy. And you, you got to accept that. And you have to develop a callus. You know, if you if you let it really get to you, you know, it's, you know, it's like worrying all day, you know, which is hard not to do sometimes, you know, especially if you have kids, you have grandkids, right. you want things to go a certain way. But it could really eat at you. Um, you know, so you, you got to learn from each student that comes in. You got to learn from each student that maybe walks out. Hey, Jerry, yeah. one last quick thing is, um, with regards <clears throat> to your material, um, are all your books are all on Amazon? Yeah, they're on Amazon. They're on, I have a website. Um, I run a, uh, international organization called Shonru Karate Do International. It's srkdi.com. Um, I have other, I have like 20 other dojos affiliated with me, uh, in Europe, Canada, New Zealand, Brazil. Um, so getting back to, uh, streaming the classes, actually, um, one of my students is talking about setting that up. So dojos in other countries could actually zoom in while I'm teaching a seminar here. Okay. So I'm looking That's forward perfect. to that. So if people want to reach out to you, they can go to that website, right? Yeah, they can reach me on Facebook. They could go to the website. Um, I, I got to start doing Instagram. I'm, I'm not really good when it comes to that marketing. That's why I talk to uh, Chihan a lot. Um, but, <laughs> He'll uh, steer you in the right direction. He'll steer you in the right direction. 
you know, I'm like that other character on the on Cobra Kai that asks, "What is the internet?" You know, I'm yes. still Johnny. <laughs> I'm still at that stage. But um, you know, again, it's something I don't like to do. I, I I try to find things in my life that I enjoy. You know, and and one of the most important things to me today is you know spending as much time as I can with my wife, my family, and uh, you know, still continuing to do the martial arts. I. I can never see myself ever giving giving this up. You know, as you get into your 60s, people ask, well, when are you going to retire? And I'm like, no way. I, I've never worked when I come here. Yeah, you right. don't no. have to retire when you own a martial arts school, really. No. So, no. well, we appreciate you being on. I know Ali's got a couple of quick things he's going to say, but I just want to say, look, if you guys are looking to reach out to uh, Jerry, make sure you go to S srkdi.com. It's also in... Uh, the thread here uh, in this broadcast as well. And Ali, you want to close us out? Yeah, no, uh, Sensei, I just want to say thank you, I, you know, for being on with us. I'd, I'd love to, we really didn't get to touch on a lot of topics. So I, I would love to maybe have you back in the near future. Oh, I would love to. Yeah, in. it's a short time. You want to try to squeeze as much in, but there's yeah. so much to it. Yeah, so you know? I love it. I, I'd love to get into more detail on your adult marketplace and, and teaching traditional martial arts in the 21st century and a whole bunch of other topics. But um, it was a great interview. I enjoyed having you and we'll work on getting you on camera next time uh, <laughs> at a time, but, but it was awesome. And, and thank you for sharing your time with us. We all know how busy we all are and we appreciate you for doing that. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you guys. Dwayne, pleasure meeting you. All right. Nice meeting I, watch, I watch your podcast from time to time. And, uh, you know, when I could catch some, you know, very informational. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you, sir. Well, you All have right. a great day. All right. Bye, everybody. Okay. Take, care. Take care. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Martial Arts School Learner Talk podcast. This would not be possible if it weren't for the support of our amazing sponsors. Please check out Elite Insights for all your website needs. They can be reached at EliteInsights.com. Add Health Coaching, helping school owners create a new and easy-to-implement revenue stream for your school. Visit AdHealthCoaching.com. Lead Hunter Media, your online digital marketer and content provider. Visit LeadHunterMedia.com. Academy Kings Growth Consulting and Management Group, they can be reached at AcademyKings.com. And Spark Membership, hands down the best martial arts software for school owner management on the planet. They can be reached at sparkmembership.com. We will see you next time.